Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and they grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. I want to encourage you, grab your notes, your journal, your app, whatever. We are in week three together of a series we're calling the series Asking for a Friend. And uh, what we're doing is we are navigating kind of the space uh, where life and faith come together. And uh, we're, we're, what we're trying to do is we're trying to go at some of the pesky questions that get in the way when life co- uh, conflicts or collides with faith. And so uh, what we're trying to do, and this is sort of a hallmark, really, of our church. And I remember when Beth and I were beginning our congregation and beginning our church many, many, many years ago, and we were uh, in just rented facilities, and even before that, we, um, we were in our living room. And when we started our church in our living room, I remember us talking about we want to be a church that is open and inviting to people who are questioning faith and people who have you know, question and doubt and all these many different things. And um, I remember as a young man, um, my family uh, faith was a part of our tradition. And we we went to church wherever my dad uh, worked in his career. And uh, I was born in Jacksonville and I lived for a time in Tampa. I lived for a time in Bradenton. And then in 1978, we moved uh, over to uh, Palm Beach County. And uh, I've been in a church in every one of those settings, and I can remember what it felt like sometimes to be in a church, and sort of the modus operandi of that church was, um, you know, you fall in line, you do what they do, you don't ask any questions, you don't rock the boat, you just do your thing. And I can remember when I was a young man of about 14, 15, or 16, I kind of bounced out of my faith for a little while. Because I was having these questions and I was growing and, and wanting to ask questions. And sort of the idea in uh, some of those churches was, hey, don't, we don't really ask questions here. And I can remember in 1978, after I'd made an initial commitment to Jesus Christ, we moved over to Palm Beach County. We began to attend a church, which is now our West Palm campus. And that was a church that was different. And it was a place where... Um, Questions were welcome. And people would come along and they would put their arms around you and they would, they, they would let you navigate where you are in your faith. And suddenly after a while, you know, I was a little nervous about that, a little oversensitive, but after a while it began to feel to me like, hey, they actually do allow me to ask Questions and I began to ask questions, and the needle of my faith began to move. And I believe, even way back then, you guys, God planted something in my heart about this idea that would come to fruition later on when God called me into Christian ministry. And so, this is a hallmark of our church and something that's very important. In fact, if you were with us last weekend, our teaching team spoke on this very value. I had the privilege of preaching over at our Lake Worth campus, and Jose and Pastor Ephraim were over at West Palm campus. Pastor Trevor was out here west, and I know did a fantastic job. And we were looking and talking together as a teaching team about um, Thomas. And our goal in that message really was to sort of reframe the misnaming of who this man is in Christian history. 
And when you look a little bit closer at his life, what you begin to notice is not somebody who was just a doubter, but rather somebody that we could use his life in a way as a good way to help us understand what is involved in ways that would shrink doubt and grow faith. And when you look at Thomas's life really carefully, here's what you notice. First of all, authenticity. Thomas started where he was. And, and when you think about it, that's all that's required. That's all we can do. We can't manufacture belief we don't have. We can't, can't step into faith that's not ours. But what we can do is we can start where we are. We can authentically lean in, and that's what Thomas did. Secondly, we notice Thomas uh, manufactured, I think, in his life what I would refer to as just an inquisitive nature. Uh, we learn from Thomas that questions aren't bad, they're good. He modeled this for us. You know, I was thinking about this because as a teaching team, here's what I would want you to know. Um, we're trying really hard to bring our A game to this 30-minute spot of a service that happens every seven days. And I remember when I first started in ministry, I remember I got up and I preached everything I knew to preach. And I walked off the stage and spiked the ball and thought I was done. And I woke up Monday and I thought, I got to do that again in six days. And then again in six days. And then again. And so we're trying to bring our A game here. But here's what I would tell you guys. Don't be a casual observer. You got to bring your A game to this space too. Amen. And so uh, Thomas manufactured inquisitive nature thirdly and lastly, and I think maybe even most important, he manufactured a willingness to move forward in faith when, his, when the evidence and when faith demanded it. I remember years ago reading as a lover of history about a guy in the 19th century whose name was William Clifford, and he wrote a paper entitled The Ethics of Belief, and this is what he said. He said, it's wrong to believe in anything without sufficient evidence. And therefore, we can't really believe in God because there isn't sufficient evidence for God. And a, and a, and a, a companion wrote an article, his name uh, was William James, that kind of pushed against this idea. And he wrote, uh, William James did in sort of a rebuttal to this, that he thought this was untrue. And he wrote that in some situations, abstaining is not wise or rational. And in some situations to abstain is to make a decision against. And he said, this is always true when the options are live, meaning, meaning it's actually an issue in front of us. Do we believe or not believe? When the action is momentous, like we're not talking about the flavor of ice cream, but we're talking about this. You know, we're talking about belief in God that has bearing on our eternity. You can't abstain. You've got to make a, a decision. And to not to, de to decide is to decide no. And then he said, lastly, this idea that the issue is forced. You have to decide. It's not just a little life or a little death. It's life or death. And so when I think about this, this is what's so important in this series and sort of what we're looking at right now. And we framed everything around uh, something that Jesus said that's pretty popular in Matthew chapter 22. We're going to put it on the screen. We know it as the great commandment. This is the first part of it. Let's read this out loud together. Ready? Go. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And if you're taking notes, here's what I want you to think about. That you and I can actually love God with our minds. And I want to just say, 
uh, maybe even unapologetically, that one of the myths and lies in our culture today is that we actually can't love God with our minds. Uh, watch for it. Sometimes this lie in our culture is loud, it's blatant, sometimes it's subtle, but it's there. In fact, think about this. You look at almost any popular book, any story, any movie, and I don't know if you've noticed this, sometimes it's the dumb person, the untrustworthy person, or the deviant person is often the person who has faith, sometimes even Christian faith. You notice it? Am I the only one that notices that? Somebody say yes. Okay. I was like, all right. I noticed that. It's not a new idea. Mark Twain wrote one time this. He said, faith is learning to believe in stuff you know ain't so. Think with me about that. Is that what faith is? I don't think that's what faith is. It's not that at all. In fact, I don't know what you guys think about Jordan Peterson. Uh, he's an important character right now in our culture. He's a controversial person in some ways in our culture. And Jordan Peterson was speaking at a recent commencement, and he was talking about this very kind of idea. And he said that too often, he said that um, people who are without are, are with faith are asked to suspend or disconnect reason from their lives. And he said, to have faith doesn't mean we can't have reason or intelligence. In fact, he went on to describe faith as a form of courage. And so this is an issue today. And so I was thinking about this, especially in terms of this series And uh, I want us to go at some of these topics, and this is why we're asking these questions. And so let me give you the question for today that we're going to lean in on. Here's the question. Isn't my faith really just between me and God alone? That's a big question right now. We are living in a, a culture that has almost privatized everything. And so this sometimes is a question we're asked. I mean, you know, I can have faith, but shouldn't I just have faith? It's just, you know, hey, it's sort of like I'm winking at God. God, this is, hey, just between you and me. And and really, what's the truth behind that? That's the question I want to go at. And I was thinking about a passage of Scripture, and I want to read it to you. It's it's uh, some of Jesus' final words in the Gospel of Matthew right before He leaves the earth physically. So this is post-resurrection. Jesus is again cloistered up with the disciples, and he's saying some important things to him. It's sort of like, you know, this is important stuff. He's saying this is one of those moments. And in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, here's what he says. He says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, and they went to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him there. Look at, look at what it says here. But some doubted. So doubt is still like a part of the equation, all right? And then Jesus came to them, and this is what he said. He said, all authority, all authority, okay, has been uh, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a pretty, pretty incredible statement. Therefore, he says, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely, it's almost as though he's saying, remember, uh, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, I want to ask you to think with me just for a moment or two around this passage of Scripture. This is a 
powerful passage of Scripture. Uh, We know it as uh, what is sometimes referred to as the Great Commission. This is Jesus commissioning the disciples out. We have, we have the great commandment, which, which, which our theme verse is part of it, right? What is the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What's the other part of that? And love your what? Neighbor as yourself. That's the great commandment. Jesus says, go and be people of love. But then there's this thing called the great commission. And what he's doing is he's, he's, he's empowering the disciples to take this message that we're talking about this morning out to those who have not yet heard it. And by the way, it's all about this idea of the resurrection. So we always say this, right? It's important to remember that Christianity, yes, it's around a person, the person of Jesus, but it's it's around a moment in history. What's that moment? The resurrection of Jesus bodily out of the grave. And this is sort of a powerful thing. And so Jesus is talking about this, and uh, we think about this. These These are some of his parting words. Uh, and, and when we think about parting words, they're right. You know, like when you leave for college, right? Some of us left for college. Our moms or dads said, don't forget to write. Let us know when you get there. You know, the kind of thing. Or, if, or, or in my house, my, my parents said stuff like this. You know, don't do anything stupid. How many of y'all heard? <laughs> right? Uh, change your shirt more often than you think you really ought to. Okay? Uh, showering's not a bad idea. I remember questions like that. But so Jesus... Um, This is a powerful moment. This is a parting moment. And the first thing he says is this. Make disciples. Say it with me. Make disciples. Now say it like you mean it. Make disciples. And what is Jesus saying? Um, When you think about this, um, you and I are here today. If you're listening online, you are part of this too, right? Here's what we would say. Um, These are our descendants. The disciple, we're here today because... The disciples took the message of the resurrection forward, right? That's what happened. And when you think about it, these are our descendants. I know when Pastor Trevor was preaching last week and he showed you that incredible picture of Mount St. Thomas. Mount St. Thomas where Thomas the doubter, right, the doubter, went further than any other disciple carrying the message of Jesus Christ. So here we are, descendants, and he says, make disciples. And, And when I think about this, this is what... This is what I think he's really saying in this space. He's saying, uh, when we make disciples, he's saying, not necessarily build a large crowd, not necessarily that you would become a celebrity preacher or celebrity church member, not that you would have a lot of Instagram followers, but he was saying this, literally go out and reproduce what is happening in your life spiritually in the life of someone else. Be a part of that process. All of us are here, right? Because somebody impacted our lives. Somebody, somebody lived their life uh, against the grain of a culture that has lost its way, and they did it in a winsome and beautiful way, and you were attracted to that. That's why we're here. And, and, and here's what I want to tell you. What a perfect day to celebrate that. Why? Because we come in spaces like this, and we want to we give honor to mothers who have, who have just sort of guided us on our way. And, and that's a powerful thing. And so Jesus is speaking, and, and then he says, he says, you know, literally he's going, reproduce what is happening in your life spiritually. Be a part of that happening for someone else. Make more and maturing followers of Jesus. Self-replicate what I'm pouring in 
to you. And then, and then after that, which is cool, make disciples, then he says, baptize them. Say that with me. Baptize. baptize. Say that like you mean it. And don't you want to know, like, that was good, by the way. Don't, don't you want to know when he says that? Don't you think the disciples went, huh? You want, you, you want, I mean, I get to make the disciples part. You want us to what? I want you to baptize them. You, what? What are we supposed to do? I mean, I, I wrote this down. You want us to create semi-awkward moments where people get wet, share stories about their lives? You want us to have parents stand in front of their faith community making promises to God and their faith community about how they're going to raise their children. And then when they do that, you want us to just get them wet? And he's going, yep. <laughs> you ever thought about baptism and why, why, we, why we do that? Why that's important? I mean, you ever wonder if people like, you know, always, it's always fun when I'm on the preaching rotation on a baptism Sunday and, you know, people are coming in and you always have the folks that are, that are, that are, that get it. And they always bring, you know, they bring guests with them. They bring uh, people that are important in their lives. Hey, something, something's important happened in my life. I want you to come. And you can always tell the people for whom this is sort of a new thing and they're just kind of watching the whole thing go down. <laughs> right. And I, I think that this is an important idea that, that, that Jesus is speaking out. Now, for those of you that want to know, just let me just give you a little, fill in a few blanks here. So baptism, right, uh, is one of the sacraments. In fact, in our church, we practice two. Do you know what they are? Communion and baptism. And baptism is, um, we'll often say it like this. It's an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. And, and what we're trying to say there is um, there's something going on that is more than just water. Water's not magic, but there's something going on. And, and so we're asked to do, and, and when you think about a sacrament, a sacrament is something Jesus participated in that he asks us to follow and to, to observe as well. And so this is the idea of baptism. And I like to think of it this way. It's an initiatory rite into a family. Years ago, I, I, I've shared before some of the stories related to getting to know Beth's family, right? We, we both, uh, she left North Texas and went to Asbury Theological Seminary in Kentucky. I, I left South Florida and went to Asbury Theological Seminary in Kentucky, and we met there and fell in love, got married. But I remember when I flew out to ask her folks if I could marry her, it was the first time they met me. And so there's a lot of, you, you, some of you all have been in spaces like that. It's, there's a lot of gut checking. There's a lot of, you know, everybody's kind of trying to figure each other out, you know, kind of a thing. And I'd flown out there. This was not my culture. Beth was a farmer's daughter. You know, they had 5,000 acres of land out there. You could get lost and die and never be found again. <laughs> I think there were a couple of moments across that weekend. I thought I was going to get lost and die and never get... And, and I, I remember when I flew out there, um, her family, uh, again, farmers, and, and when we would come to pray at a meal before we would eat the meal, um, they ended every prayer with this simple phrase. They would say, please send rain. Because this is, this is North Texas, the plains, there's a lot of just dry. And, uh, and so they, they just did this. I, you know, I came in, we had dinner, we got up the next morning, we had breakfast, we had lunch, we had dinner, they were doing that. And there comes this really awkward moment where her dad said, 
would you like to pray? And, and you know, it feels like a setup. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to be a preacher. They know she's, she's going to, you know, if they say yes, going to marry a preacher. And I felt like there's this moment where they're going, all right, give it your best shot. And, and so I go to pray, and I get through with the prayer, and I thought, ooh, I know what I'll do. I'll say what they say. And, and so, you know, there's this moment I'm going to repeat. And here's what I said, you guys. I had been misunderstanding the whole time they were doing this. I didn't think they were saying, please send rain. I thought they were saying, peace and rain. So I, I go to, I have this big moment of prayer, man, I'm praying heaven down. And I got in and I thought, I'm just going to add this. It's going to be like the cream on the top, the chair. And I said, peace and rain. And we said, amen. And I look up at her dad is like drinking his iced tea, staring at me. Like, you're weird. Get out. Never come back again. You know, it's this awkward moment. But it was like this initiatory right into the family. And here's the thing. Baptism is that. But here's what I want you to know. It's not just baptism. Like, we, we, we can't just do that. Like, there's no magic in the water. This is what, what baptism is. It's a line in the sand where we're going, this is where I was. This might have been what I'm aiming at. Now I'm aiming at this. Now I'm over here. And we all have to have those moments where we're kind of lining up, where we're drawing, we're putting a stake in the ground. We're letting everybody know this is where we stand. And here's the question. Have you done that? Have you, have you, have you self-identified in a public way? Because here's what I want to remind everybody, right? While... Your faith is personal. It's not private. Well, it's personal. And sometimes I think we've made a mistake. We've, we've said, you know, my, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's great. And while it's personal, what I want to remind everybody, that doesn't mean it's supposed to be private. And somehow we have mistaken that as an idea and I want to call us back to it. There needs to be these moments where we go from death to life, from old to new, from past to future, where we're putting a stake in the ground. And we're, it's almost like we're, we're dropping a pin and we're saying, here we are. Um, a couple years ago, my girls were uh, tuning me up. I have some responsibilities that every now and again across the county, you're drawing me out of town. Like today, I'm going to fly to Lexington. I've got some meetings I have to attend at the seminary that I came from, uh, that we met at. And, uh, and a couple of years ago, when, when the whole uh, Uber thing started, my, my, my kids got me all hooked up on Uber, and, um, which was a thing. Anybody have any struggles with that on the front end? Uh, okay, I did. Okay. <laughs> And uh, I had, um, they were afraid I was going to get lost. And so they, they hooked up my phone. And a couple of years ago, I was in Atlanta, and I got to Atlanta. And, and I was coming out with my bag to get in a car to, to go where I needed to go. 
And I tapped on the Uber app, and the Uber app loaded, and it said Uber. And the minute I saw it on my phone, I walked out to the curb, and there was a guy there, and he said, are you looking for an Uber? And before I even thought about it, I got in the car. And then when I got in the car and I looked at the app, and the app said, your car is almost there, and I'm pulling away from the airport, I thought, one of these things is not like the other. And I text my uh, younger daughter, and I said, um, I, don't, I don't think this is working. I'm in a car, but I don't think it's an Uber car. <laughs> and my daughter texts me back, and she goes, my gosh, where are you at? She goes, send me your location. And so I send her my location, and I started asking the guy, you know, where I was. I said, oh, I, I think I met, missed this up. The guy didn't answer. He's just driving. And I thought, I'm going to die. <laughs> And then, so I send my daughter my location, and then she says, all right, put, put your destination, put the address in there where you're going. That way you'll know if he's going the right way. And the minute I clicked that and I saw the address, the guy took an exit. And I thought, I'm gonna die. And all this weird stuff is happening, and my daughter said, you know, she said, send me your location. Anyhow, I want you to know it all worked out fine, but now everybody tracks me 24-7. <laughs> I was at a restaurant like three weeks ago, and Shelly said, aren't you going there enough? <laughs> you know? And when we drop a locator pin on our faith, uh, faith, it's a reminder that this is where we stand. I thought of this in our culture just a few weeks ago. Many of y'all know I'm a big Braves fan, but this happened with our arch nemesis. I want to show you a picture. This is, do you know who that is? Boo. It's Clayton Kershaw. And, uh, no, hey. Stop that. Wow. And uh, um, he is pitching on the 13th of April, and he's way into the seventh inning. And he's pitching a perfect game. And right in that moment, 80 pitches in, coach pulls him out. And it created this firestorm. I mean, every, everybody was, you know, going, what, what is, man, what is he doing? That's crazy. This was, this was history. I mean, in, in over 200,000 baseball games, there's only 23 perfect games. And the coach pulled him out. Well, Kershaw gets to the interview. Everybody's thinking, you know, modern culture right now, right? He's going to throw hot fire. And he just stands up and he says, you know what? Coach made the right decision. Everybody's like, what? I said, yeah, he made the right decision. He said, you know what? He goes, um, I was injured last season. We had a shortened spring training. I was already 80 pitches in. We could have risked the whole season had he let me stay in there. And everybody's like, but Clayton, this is like, this is history. I mean, this is your moment. And he looks right at the camera and he says, you know what? There's bigger moments. We're aiming at bigger things than my personal record. Man, I was like, that almost makes me want to like the Dodgers. <laughs> Not quite, but almost. But you know what he was doing? Dropping a stake in the ground and just saying, here's where I stand. We all do that. 
And you have to do that in your faith. When I made a public commitment to Jesus Christ in 1978, I think I was 16 or 17 years old. And uh, we lived in a neighborhood that had been carved out of an orange grove in Tampa. And uh, I would ride my bike. This is a, as a 15, 16-year-old guy, I think. I would ride my bike over to this grove, and I would walk to the back of this grove, and there was this huge grapefruit tree that was bigger than all the other trees. And I would climb up in the tree, and I would talk to God about my life. I was only 16, 17 years old. It was my private thing. And when um, my dad got promoted and we moved to West Palm, can I tell you what I did? I went one more time to the tree to see it, to sit in it. Because it had become a place of holy meeting for me. And it became identified with the place in my faith where I was standing. I remember a few years ago, Miranda Lambert wrote a song entitled, The House That Built Me. And she said, I I thought she wants to go back to this home. She said, I thought if I could touch this place or feel it, the brokenness inside me might start healing. Out here, it's like I'm someone else. I thought that maybe I could find myself and if I could come in, she, she sings, I swear I'll leave. Won't take nothing but a memory in the house that built me. We need, we need markers in our faith that remind and identify us as to who we are. Baptism's a big one, but it's not the only one. And of course, I would say in closing, right, we, once our faith is public, we have to live it the right way. One of the struggles in Christianity right now is that we've, we have loved so poorly, publicly, that many people question the God we say we love because We're not following the great commandment, which is to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to learn to love our neighbor as ourself. In fact, um, I think it was Dallas Willard who said this. He said, you know how many people are radically and permanently repelled from the way by Christians who are unfeeling and stiff and unapproachable and boringly lifeless and obsessive and judgmental and dissatisfied? And Willard goes on to say, sometimes I think such Christians are everywhere. And what they miss is the wholesome liveliness springing from a balanced vitality with the freedom of God's loving rule. Paul said this, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity and let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer to everyone. We need markers. And when we've identified, I think there's something that happens that 
God just keeps reaffirming to us and how we've identified how we can live our faith. Don't miss your moment. For, for some of y'all, I want to just say, right, you got to get baptized. you got to have that wet, awkward, weird moment. And for some of you, it's, it's not that. It's like, it's not letting that be such a thing way back there in history. Is that there's no self-identification now. Don't make that mistake. Let's pray. Lord, I think in so many ways, this is a house right here where you're building people. Some come in and they need to be disassembled and rebuilt. Some of us, Lord, it's a, it's a one faith step after another. Some of us, God, we're not even there yet. We're just beginning to get our foot in the door and ask questions and do all this thing. And, and yet you meet us here by your mercy and by your grace. Lord, I just pray like never before because our culture needs it so strongly that we, we would be given the opportunity to be re-identified as people who love well, people who lean in and lead with our faith and love. This we pray in the name of Jesus who is our Lord and everyone said. You know, Lord Jesus, one of the greatest promises that your words tells us is that you're not against us. And Lord, no matter where we are this morning, no matter how we found ourselves here, no matter who we are or claim to be or whatever our past is or whatever it is, Lord, um, you're for us, you're not against us. And may that very truth be a transformational truth in our lives that begins to move us toward your unconditional love and your unconditional grace revealed In Jesus the Christ. Move us toward that for we pray in your powerful and precious name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Would you just give him a round of applause? Thank you, Lord. Go in his peace. Go in his mercy. We have folks here that are pray for you if you need prayer. We'll see you next weekend.